Hello, everyone. My name is Ian Rowe. And I'm Nike Fajors. And welcome to The Invisible Men, where we make the achievements of incredible men invisible no more. Ian, hello. How are you, man? Hey, Nike. Good to see you, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. So this week, no guests. That means you and I need to talk. You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about the Olympics because I'm convinced that Daryl probably watched the Olympics and maybe had more than one head-scratching moment. <laughs> yes, Daryl, our 16-year-old uh, who lives in forgotten USA, and he's got a TV and he's watching. So what did, what did he see at the Olympics? I, I think he watched the men's finals, uh, over 75 kilograms karate. So karate's just been reintroduced uh, to the Olympics as a new sport. Um, and what Daryl saw was two, two men in the finals, one gentleman from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, another from the Islamic Republic of Iran, going at it, karate, uh, obviously a very physical sport. At one point, the gentleman from Saudi Arabia kicked the gentleman from I Iran and knocked him out. And what was the score at that time? The gentleman from Saudi Arabia was winning. He was dominating. It was like four to one. And it was, it was pretty clear that he was probably going to be the first gold medalist uh, for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia in karate. So he was pretty excited. Kicked him, knocked the guy down. The Iranian could not get up. So guess what Daryl saw? He saw the Iranian who had been knocked out receive the gold medal. And the gentleman who was representing Saudi Arabia received the silver medal in spite of the fact that he was better than the other man. And on what grounds? Well, they said that you're not supposed to knock anyone out in sport karate. Mind yeah. you, these are two grown, these are two massive, muscular knockout machines hitting each other with fists and feet and legs, and you're not supposed to knock anyone out. Oh, so I didn't realize that. That's an actual rule. Because a well, a well maneuvered karate kick isn't it designed to do damage to your opponent? My understanding, karate when it was founded, it was how do you fight when you drop your sword and someone's trying to kill you on the battlefield? That's where karate comes from. And so, you know, still, whether it's sport karate or not, the whole point is to truly dominate your opponent. Right. So what do you think that is, what do you think, what do you think the person who was on the ground winning represents in terms of Daryl's takeaway? Well, I mean, there's, 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 there's the takeaway for me and there's the takeaway for Daryl. The takeaway for me is I think I can win a gold medal in karate at the Olympics. I just simply have to get knocked down and not get up three matches in a row and I win. Wait, actually, let's, do you think the 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 competitor from iran should have voluntarily said i have not earned this like what would that like that wouldn't that be interesting so that's a that's a brilliant that's a brilliant proposition and i'll tell you why in part because 20 years ago approximately in judo something nearly similar happened where there was a it was a heavyweight fight and there was a japanese competitor and a competitor from egypt the Japanese competitor was like a two-time uh, Olympic champion. He was expected to win. He was exceptional. 
Well, he destroyed his knee in the semifinal match and literally like walked on to the to the to the uh, to the mat with a with a heavily bandaged and damaged knee. Could hardly do anything. The Egyptian judoka purposely never attacked that knee or that side of his body and in fact lost. And the Japanese uh, judoka won the gold medal entirely because this Egyptian man said, I'm not going to win that way. I'm not interested in getting a gold medal on the cheap. If I can't beat his other side, then I wouldn't have beat him if he was healthy. And so that was celebrated and is still talked about the spirit of judo. And that man actually received special recognition at the uh, Kodakan, the, the, the birthplace of, of, of judo, to say what an exceptional thing you did. I don't think that happens in 2020. Mm, people are not honorable in that way. Interesting. Well, and Daryl, and I mean, and conceivably, Daryl could say, wait a minute, I thought you were supposed to win as, as long as you're playing by the rules, right? Uh, I mean, it sounds like maybe the kick is outside of the bounds, but that seems just like a strange rule. It was a standard kick. The, now this, this goes back to responsibility, right? Is it the responsibility of the kicker to kick less hard? Or is it a responsibility of his opponent to block the kick? I mean, if he had blocked the kick, he wouldn't have been knocked out. It's really ridiculous on multiple levels. So you ask, you know, your other question was, what does Daryl think about, about this? I mean, if Daryl plays sports, he's got to say, wow. So if I'm wrestling and I can't continue, I win. If I'm playing basketball and my team can't continue, we win. If... If I'm playing tennis and I can't continue, do I win? Of course, you know. Well, it's interesting from Daryl because, um, you know, if Daryl was watching the Olympics, he also had to hear about what was going on with Simone Biles, right? And, and even if you watch it, you probably heard that here's this world-class athlete who took herself out of the running for a couple gold medals because she was feeling uh, fragile in terms of her mental health. And it's just kind of an interesting thing that's going on. You, like, you, you wonder what young people take away. And let me preface this by saying, I don't know exactly what was going on in Simone Biles' world. Gymnastics is actually a, a sport that you can break your neck. Like it is, it is a- For sure. You know, it's, it's a dangerous uh, sport. It's not like, you know, running per se. I mean, running has, has injuries as well, but it's unlikely that you'll break your neck uh, if you make a mistake. So all that said, what does it mean when we start to celebrate people who don't move forward? So whether it's your, uh, the karate person who won by losing or other athletes that kind of take themselves out. I mean, I was really proud of Simone Biles' teammates. That's right. At the last minute that their star teammate was saying, nah, you know what, I can't do it. Imagine the pressure on them in that moment. In that moment, Oof. they've worked for the at least the last four years, if not most oh. of their adulthood, right? Probably since they were four years old. For this moment, where they thought they were part of a team, talk about the need to show mental strength and stability right at that moment. And yet all the attention and the glorification on Simone Biles Stepping away, and again, this is not to say that it wasn't justified, 
but it's just an interesting narrative that starts to build when we start to celebrate people who are exiting as opposed to the people who are staying in the game competing and by the way didn't they continue to win medals they did i think they placed second in the team behind uh whatever that russian team was no you, you make a great point because also you could pretty much guarantee every young lady that's on that team looked up to simone in a way that we could probably never comprehend because she's so exceptional she's done things that no other gymnast has ever done on on, on the mats and so then to have that person say I'm not going tonight, you know, it, it um, that must have been incredible pressure on them. And, you know, right. You just hope that young people can separate the pressure that's on her as a world-class athlete who's demonstrated incredible resiliency over the course of her career, that versus a tough math exam. You know what I mean? That's right. Oh my gosh. You know what? <laughs> That's, I mean, I just, I just fear like there's this, there's this kind of victimhood narrative that you have, you get a, a, a get out of jail free card. If you say I'm traumatized, you know? 100%. Well, I think that's probably a great transition to something that I know hit your radar recently in the great state of Oregon. Oh, uh, yeah. Ooh, high standards, that state. High standards. <laughs> Let me start this one, and then you bring your expertise to it. So, okay, you know, every every state in the union struggles with how do we give our students the best education possible? How do we ensure that every student has the opportunity to be exceptional? And as they look at standardized tests, they consistently see certain groups underperforming on these standardized tests. Then the question is, okay, what do we do about that? What are the root cause issues? Well, Oregon has decided not to really look at the root causes, not to have the uncomfortable conversations about parenting, TV viewership, role models, and instead has said, you know what, let's just stop testing. We're the ostrich. I'm going to bury my head so far into the sand, I'm not going to know what day it is. Unbelievable. I mean, for our viewers that don't know, and by the way, un, under the un, under a secret, under dark of night, the governor <laughs> did this, and it didn't become known until several weeks afterwards, which is the first sign that she knew that this was not a good thing. The governor of a state in the United States said you do not have to demonstrate that you could read, write, or do math in order to graduate from high school. They're trying to figure out what the standard should be. Okay, that's actually not, that's not a crazy exercise, but to say, oh, and by the way, this was all done in the name of equity. <laughs> this was all done to help our, you know, our, you know, our poor black and, and Asian. Uh, <laughs> can you think of anything more insulting than that? And by the way, I haven't had a chance to take a look, but if I were to go and look at the reading levels throughout Oregon, I can guarantee you because it's true across the country, there's probably a larger population of white kids who are not reading, writing, and doing math relative to the number of minority kids. I, I don't know that for sure, but that has been my analysis when I look at virtually every other state. And so, so because what's interesting is here is that not only are they lowering the standards for minority kids, 
they're eliminating the standard for all kids. It's unbelievable. It is truly unbelievable. You made a statement. Is there anything more insulting? And I'm, I'm not sure there is. I'm not sure there is. This is basically these decision makers in Oregon throwing their hands up and saying, this can't be fixed. That's really what they're really saying is this can't be fixed. These kids are not capable under any system that we know of to do comparable work to white students. So let's just we're giving up and we're we're we're, we're going to do that in the name of uh, you know tests or math tests are biased, they're racially biased and I don't you know, know. I I, try, I actually really try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I really do. Because I, I, I think we live in a world where we jump to conclusions, we demonize people we agree with. So how can we put ourselves in the, in the shoes of the people who make a decision like this? And what I have learned in these conversations is that like the governor probably genuinely feels that somehow these kids are being wronged, right? That these tests, which are designed to be objective, or these standards, are somehow inherently biased against these kids solely based on their skin color. And so the question is, is, is like, like, which is worse? Like a genuine belief? Like that's how the world works? Like you, so, so, it, so to your point about root causes, they actually feel they've got it figured out. It has nothing to do with family structure. It has nothing to do with number of hours studying. It has to do with some racist person who designed a racist test and that's it. There's no other explanation. And so therefore the only solution, let's just abandon those requirements until such time we create an unracist test. Seriously, that that absolutely. And and uh, I mean, I personally think that that's crazy. Like having run schools, when you when you started off, you said, you know, how do we get kids to be exceptional? Well, the first thing you start off with is exceptional expectations. Yes, sir. That's the first thing. If you don't start there, if you if you start with the premise, well, you know, these kids aren't going to do well on these exams because, you know, it's already biased. You don't think that that infiltrates teachers' minds when we talk about the soft bigotry of low expectations? 100%. You know, 100%. in San Diego last year, the San Diego Unified School District did an analysis where they found that uh, I think it was 20% uh, uh, of black students um, received a failing grade, either received a D or an F grade. Only 7% of white students received a failing grade, a D or an F. So instead of analyzing, huh, wow, 80% of black students received a passing grade, what was it that contributed to their success? Or the 93% of white students, is it that they're studying more, took advantage of, 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 of study hours with, with their teachers. The San Diego Unified School District said, no, 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 we're not gonna look at that. We're gonna look at the difference between 20% black kids failing 
and 7% white kids failing, 13 percentage points, those 13 percentage points must be due to systemic racism. And therefore, we're going to become an anti-racist school district. And it must be because, you know, these Black kids, they can't get their homework in on time. You know, we're culturally competent. These, so you know what we're going to do? We're going to remove the on-time homework requirement for all kids. 110,000 kids in the San Diego Unified School System. That's what this kind of thinking does. That's right. I mean, as someone who runs schools, do you know the importance of homework, the, the importance of studying, the importance of having kids start to build responsibility and knowing that something is expected of them, that their work is gonna be reviewed. It's a check for understanding. When you just say, nah, you don't have to get this in on time. What is that doing to a kid's expectations of themselves? And, and you think they're gonna be prepared to compete against kids coming from other high-performing schools or Chinese kids? Or Thank you. It's, a, it's global competition now. That's exactly right. Where they're going in the opposite direction. They're ratcheting up the competitiveness, which, you know, the whole 997, you, you work from 9 a.m., uh 996 excuse me you work from 9 a.m to 9 p.m six days a week that's the expectation and standard i'm not saying that's right either but i'll tell you what i know which outcome is going to produce higher higher efficiencies higher performance just to go back to oregon though because you know we we try to be about root cause on this show and try to be about solutions if you were in charge or i was in charge the next step that i would take is not remove the test but what facilities, what tutoring systems, what mechanisms can we put in place to help the kids prepare for the test? Absolutely. You know, my kids are a little bit older than yours. I've been through the ACT, PSAT, SAT. You've got to pour countless hours into those tests to get good results. You, all my kids have tutors for that. Now, of course, not everyone can afford the tutor. That's, wh that's where the city and the state of Oregon could be helpful. Help these kids that can't afford $1,000 for standardized test prep to get them that support. I mean, Daryl, right? I mean, imagine Daryl, 16 years old. He actually might be the object of the empathy. He might be the object of why the governor is doing this policy. Mm -hmm. You know, Daryl Darryl is, is, is victimized. He can't do it. So we got to do this and to quote equitable standards. And, but I, I, what I don't think these officials understand is that they're actually robbing Daryl of the very thing that will allow him to overcome the hurdles that he faces in his lives. The ability to reach a high standard and have confidence that you were able to achieve it, that feeling, that skill, that capacity, that ability, that sense of agency, that is what we're robbing from children when we make decisions like this. And, it, and it's so much more painful when it's done in the name of equity. Honestly, it's the most perverse form of discrimination. You know, Ian, well said. To bring it back to the Olympics, you probably didn't see this match, but at the um, freestyle wrestling 125 kilogram finals, 
There was a 21-year-old American, happened to be mixed race. His mom is African-American. His dad is, is white American. He was going against the three-time world champion. This kid's still in high, this kid's still in college, Gable. Cut to the chase, he won. With 13 seconds left, he was losing by three points, and he won with half a second remaining. I saw that match, actually, yes. You see the joy on his face. You talk about achieving something. Yep. He's been wrestling since he was five. Did he want a shortcut to get to that place? Was he looking for a helping hand? Was he looking for someone to give him, oh, you know, I'm disadvantaged. Give me three points before the match starts. No, no. He did the impossible, beat a three-time world champion. His legacy is now established. Right. And that's, you know, and the truth is, you know, if I had to have, 10 minute lesson to teach Daryl and his friends, I'd spend much more time on Gable and what he did over the course of his life. And those that match, I'd spend nine and a half minutes of that 10 minute lesson focused on resiliency, the courage he faced, all of those things, and probably 30 seconds on the Simone Biles situation. That's not right. Because not because mental health issues are unimportant, but we gotta first make sure kids know that they can achieve under duress. Right? There is again, we have to acknowledge, particularly in the time of COVID, kids have been this has been a this has been a traumatic experience for sure. Sure. But we can't have a a, a movement where victimhood quitting becomes the thing that is celebrated to the exclusion of those people like Simone Biles teammates that hang in there and get the job done. Again, honoring Simone Biles and everything that she's done, but there was a disproportionate amount of attention paid to the victimization versus the truly heroic efforts of her teammates. Ian, I think that's a good way to wrap up this conversation, my friend. Thank you. And uh, I'll see you next week. Awesome. As, as, as always, if our viewers want to see other episodes of The Invisible Men, go to www.invisible.men. Nike, always a pleasure. Good seeing you, brother. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching another episode of The Invisible Men. You can find other episodes at the AEI podcast channel on YouTube or the website invisible.men or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.